hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, I'm a programmer at TIFF now, and this is the other thing I do. My guest this week is Vanessa Matsui, an actor, writer, producer, and director who you may recognize from shows like Ghost BFF, which she also created, or Lost Girl, Seed, Schitt's Creek, The Girlfriend Experience, The Hot Zone, or Letterkenny. Her first feature, Midnight at the Paradise, is an ensemble drama starring Leanne Balaban, Alan Hawko, Emma Ferreira, Kenneth Welsh, and Kate Trotter as couples dealing with various levels of relationship fatigue. It's having a one-night-only Toronto premiere this Friday, April 21st, at the Paradise Cinema, of course, and if you're in town, you should check it out. Vanessa picked Good Luck to You, Leo Grant. The Australian filmmaker Sophie Hyde's two-hander about a newly retired English schoolteacher, played by Emma Thompson, who hires a sex worker, played by Daryl McCormick, to give her the pleasure she feels she's missed out on in her life. Over the course of several meetings, we see who these people are and what they come to mean to one another. It's not quite what you think it will be. That's the beauty of it. This is someone else's movie. Okay, so I saw it for the first time just a few weeks ago. And I, it was one of those nights where I was like, "Ugh, you know, I just put my kid to bed. I wasn't going to really watch a full movie. And I clicked on it thinking I was going to just like go on social media and like ignore the film and it will just play in the background until I'm ready to go to bed. And it just captivated me in a way that a film hasn't done in a very long time. I ended up watching the whole thing in one sitting, which is kind of rare for me because I'm like, I've got, I'm a mom with young kids, like lots of things happen mm. uh, when I'm at home. And I, I just thought it, I had never seen, it really moved me. I had never seen a film. Um, like I feel like this scent, this phrase is overused, but like this love letter to the female body and like the appreciation of um, like the aging body. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I just, I loved it. And I thought, you know, and especially after coming from, directing a feature for the first time. I mean, that is a challenging movie to make work. And so I found myself really watching it as a filmmaker. And maybe that's one of the first times that I've really been watching a film, like as a filmmaker. And, and I had to rewatch, I rewatched it in preparation of this. And, hmm. and I was like, yeah, wow. How do you, what is the, like, what was the camera language that she was using? Anyway, I, I, I found myself just, really captivated by it. Um, I thought the performances were incredible. I loved the message and the story and how inventive they, to make it essentially a two-hander in one room be that compelling and interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's the, the, you mentioned the camera language and, and it's really interesting that they try not to repeat shots. They, you know, given the restrictions that they've set for themselves, this could have been a really kind of film play version of it but even the choices of you know which sequence to shoot with mild handheld work and which sequence to do sort of a formal frame with it's uh it's really clever and absolutely yeah and and of course um i i thought honestly i i have to admit when i heard about it at sundance and i didn't see it until it came out to to uh, streaming um but when i heard about it it sounded kind of schematic right like this sounds like a a 
not a prefabricated drama exactly, but one where all the signposts are pretty evident and the casting does half the work. And that's technically true, right? Because Emma Thompson is is remarkable. It's remarkable in it. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't pander, right? Like it no. doesn't it doesn't play into the version of itself. This is a phrase I find myself using a lot lately, and I kind of hate that I keep coming back to it, but it works. There is a version of this movie that is blank, 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 and it's always the disappointing version. Like there, there's an easier way to tell this story. And I don't say that about a lot of movies because that they are the easy way. And this one just like it won't let people out of frame. It won't release the actors or the characters yeah. from yeah. the traps that they've built for themselves, which I find really interesting. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't even thought about it that way. Exactly. And it's like you're, and it also really felt like it, the whole film felt like a dance to me. Mm-hmm. It felt like the two of them, and even just the way that the, the, like both opening frames on the two actors, and then how you're bringing us in together. Anyway, I just, um, I found it very, very interesting. And it's funny too, because how I remembered the film is actually a little different than when I rewatched it. Just oh, yeah. last night. Okay. I thought that there were absolutely no background players or no other actors in the movie, except for the waitress. Like that's how I had remembered it. And I, mm. I remember thinking, I was like, Oh, that was probably like some weird, you know, COVID rule. Like they probably shot this during pandemic and they just couldn't get BG. And, but as I was thinking about it, I was thinking what a clever, way of showing like how isolated these two people are. And then the only time that they're making connection, it, it eventually becomes with the two of them. And um, anyway, when I rewatched it, I'm like, Oh no, there's some BG people, but they're far away and they're still removed. So I think, you know, my memory of, of what it was is probably like, you know, a little accurate and, and how the filmmaker intended it to feel, which was, they were alone. Yeah, they're building their own world, more or less. I mean, their relationship is the the only thing the film is interested in, mm-hmm. and, and how they're affected by it. Like, there's some, there's well, there's the other two servers in the cafe at the end, and there's the server in or Leo's coffee shop at the very beginning, right? Exactly. And actually, that's really interesting that both people are servers. Everyone, yeah, everyone else is working. Yeah, and that he's also like a server in way. Anyway, that's cool. It's sly, right? Like sly is usually a word that I will use for something that is kind of knowing and, and knowingly playing a, a bit on the audience. But this isn't that exactly. This is just a movie that's the world is so well constructed that when you turn around later, it's just like, oh, no, that was deliberate. Like it's all so conscious and thought through and thrown away because it doesn't really matter that the only other people they interact with are servers. Because yeah. that's just the world everybody lives in, um, with the exception of of Nancy, I suppose, who is, uh, you know, technically in charge because she's always demanding something from someone transactionally, yes. even yeah. though she's completely out of control in her own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's so English. Like it is so English. Uh, I have I have married into an English family and and had oh you have okay yeah a little more experience of that culture than I would have otherwise. And you know for twenty years now I've been watching, I've been learning language like this. The the, the passive aggressiveness is an art uh, among among the uh, the citizens of the United Kingdom. That uh, here I am at best a dilettante and. 
catching like the subtle digs and hesitations I, I you almost never see and it's in it's all over Thompson's performance is someone who is passive aggressive with herself and she's not doing it to Leo she is diminishing herself in almost every interaction oh yeah and, yes and laughing it off and sort of shrugging it off but she never stops and it's just devastating like there's just the, the cumulative power of that there's a moment that I totally love that she nails, obviously, mm. um, because she's like asking him, you know, what's the oldest woman you've, who's the oldest person you've ever um, had to have sex with? And, uh, and he's like 82. And he, so she's like, okay, wait, I'm starting to feel a little better now. What, so how do you do it? Like how, and he's like, well, I find something beautiful about everybody that I'm with. And then she's like, okay, well, what is, what is my thing that you're going to hold on to with all your might <laughs> and not let go. And I was like, oh, it is so funny. She is so, um, yeah, she's so hard on herself. Yeah. There's self-deprecating. And then there's this, mm -hmm. like there's, it's just, and it's, it's just an outpouring of self-loathing, obviously that, um, that the character has been walking around with, but it's so, uh, incongruous is not the right word like it is just so strange to see that coming out of emma thompson who has has always been an incredible actor and effortlessly able to inhabit people who are not happy with themselves or not uncomfortable with themselves but i think and it's clearly deliberate on the film's part as she is aged she has somehow become more honest as a performer and she's mm -hmm. one of the handful of people who you can say that about and it's not just women it's not just english women like it, it's a thing that she possesses where the truth just keeps coming out of her mm -hmm. as, a, as a performer um apparently so there's a i don't know if you've read it there's a new york i think it's new yorker there's a new yorker article about her and it's really that i think it just recently came out no no it's I really interesting it. like she lives in the same neighborhood that she grew up in she was she talks about how all her friends are still like they're not famous people. They're her friends that she's known forever. So she's like, you know, I have a lot of people around me that never let me get, you know, right. too big for my britches or whatever. So I think that there is an, you know, I think it's very easy once you are rich and famous to enter a bubble and be so completely removed from anything that's real and maybe part of her, you know, her honesty comes from the place where she is like kind of keeping it honest in her life and um, not letting herself sort of get, get, uh, get dragged into that, into that bubble world. And it, it pays off in her art for sure. Yeah. She doesn't have a false note anywhere in the movie. And it's, it's a, it's a performance too, that could have been, or a character that could have been pushed into caricature. Like she could have totally. just been a nervous, I mean, it is, it's, it's to the point where you almost believe, or I almost believed in the, around the 90 minute mark that this person has just completely invented this persona because there's no way there's someone as, as convenient as a 60 year old repressed English school teacher whose husband has just died. I mean, it just sounds too good to be true. The same way Leo's story uh, is ultimately not too good to be true, but just too good full stop. And then it it's validated by the, by the waitress who comes up to her by the, by the server she used to teach. And that, and I was actually surprised at that moment. It's like, oh, it's all real. Okay, cool. Because I guess I've just trained uh -huh. myself to expect one more twist. 
Interesting. Because uh, otherwise, why are they having the scene? Why is there a coda to this film? And then, of course, it turns out that's the whole point of the movie is to get them to that last meeting. Um, it's really, it's really clever. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, and I've been giving a lot of thought to it, like as someone like, you know, the like I'm, you know, I've had a baby, so my body is different and sure. getting older and also, you know, my whole life I've been an actress and so have maybe been <laughs> at some like, you know, unhealthy uh been in an, in unhealthy situations in the way that you know my body's been scrutinized and i think just in general like how women are yeah, yeah. you know it's just so trained to like despise their bodies and the this movie really um like it it affected me in a really profound level and i was like I, it, like i've sort of been thinking about my body and in just a in a in a really different way and i i think that's very rare <laughs> that, you know, at this old, not that I'm super old, but, you know, for something to really, not that I didn't know that, you know, um, like unrealistic body image is all bad. Like, of course, like we all know those things, but I think it's like, I've never uh, felt something quite dive um like under my skin in quite the same way to actually have a paradigm shift regarding um yeah yeah anyway yeah well i'm thinking about all the other films recently in the last 15 years or so i guess that have dealt with aging sexuality male or female and there's almost inevitably some level of grotesquerie to them uh, that is then presented as truth, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, a close-up of a waddle on a neck or somebody's sagging skin. There was, oh God, what was it? There was a, a German film I saw at Cannes the one time I was there, Cloud Nine, um, German or Austrian, I think it might've been Austrian, uh, which is about an affair between two people in their 60s. And okay. they're, they look like people in their 60s and that's fine, but the camera just, just goes in on particularly on, I mean, it opens with an, a scene that I think is deliberately supposed to be off-putting of just of bodies slapping together. It's, you know, it's all in the sound mix and the, and the, the way it's presented. It's the aesthetic okay. that the filmmaker chooses. And I just remember thinking if that's the only point you have, like if, if the point is that you should stop thinking of these people as gross looking and see them as beautiful and in love, it's like, okay, I get that. But what's the next 90 minutes of your movie about? Where, mm. where are we going with this? And there's no sensationalism because it's just not that movie. I mean, there, if anything, um, uh, David McCormick is is sexualized deliberately by the film, um, you know, washboard abs and, and, and incredible physical. Um, how does she describe him? She, she early on, she says at one point that he's just. Is he, I mean, she calls, yeah, she, she's like, you're like a model. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But she, she throws it away in a way that, again, tells us that she doesn't think she deserves him, mm -hmm. which uh, which turns the focus back onto her and lets us see him through her eyes. So it's okay that he is preposterously good looking in the way that movie people are. But I think because we start with him, it feels more honest that way because we don't open with her. We open it opens on him. Oh, yeah, and right. yes. it's just just destabilizing enough that that. It just feels like 
a movie character and another movie character meeting. And because we don't start with, you know, established movie star Emma Thompson, we start with this younger character actor who doesn't have a persona behind him just yet. It makes it feel like this is not the kind of film where your expectations will be met and where everything will be safe and nice. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's also why I was so drawn into it because nothing, not, yeah, <laughs> it was not what I was expecting. You're right. At every turn, it was like, whoa, what? Is, yeah, what is that? This interesting, interesting. It kept going. I kept going. Didn't go to my phone. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were you were you familiar with the um, the director's work before uh, this? Is this no. the first one of hers that you've seen? I know nothing about any of these people except for Emma Thompson. Um, and I've always been a big fan of Emma Thompson because I mean, yeah, all the things that we've said, she's so brilliant, but also she worked. So Leanne Balaban, who's the star of midnight of the paradise, mm -hmm. Leanne worked with Emma on last chance Harvey right? Of course. and uh, had nothing but, but like, like Emma Thompson actually is everything that we think she is. She's <laughs> fabulous and wonderful and was like, you know, somewhat of a mentor to Leanne. She, um, Leanne and I made this interactive website at like the dawn of the internet, all about getting your first period. And Emma Thompson contributed to it. Like she was so supportive of like us, like in Montreal, working with the national film board. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I've always been a really big fan. And it's funny too, because I, as soon as I saw this film, I texted Leanne. I was like, have you watched, like, nobody has seen this movie. That's what also blows my mind. Like Leanne hadn't seen it. She's like, I've never even heard of it. And I'm like, how have you not heard of Good Luck to Leo Grand? You're going to love it. Um, you must, you, you must watch it. I wonder uh, if it's just the streaming trap where because it, you know, it wasn't hugely acclaimed at Sundance other than a couple of good critical reviews. And then it just went straight into streaming. There was no theatrical release, just like everything else, right? And that's if I feel like that is the kind of film I would have loved to see in theaters. And I also feel in a way that it kind of deserved a theater because I think like if you're just watching it at home. Also, I think it was the year that sent like Sundance had to close because of Omicron. So it was like last so, minute, yeah. the whole thing didn't end up happening live or sorry, in person. So mm -hmm. then I think it just kind of suffered through that. And then it never got theatrical, even though I feel like that movie would have just done really well theatrical. But anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, I could absolutely, well, I could see us screening it at the Lightbox for a run anyway. Certainly, it's it's a small, quiet film that would play really well in a Cinematheque sort of uh, situation. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't realize you were involved with the with the period project, which the name of which is escaping me, but- Oh, uh, Town. That's the one. Yeah. Because um, yeah. Leanne and I talked about it when she did press for, I guess it was the Grand Seduction was the last time. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm the co-creator with Leanne. That's like oh, how nice. we saw it. Actually, we met, um, we originally met doing improv, <laughs> Sunday night improv at Theatre St. Catherine, and we just really got along. It turned out that we lived about a block away from each other, so we were <laughs> always doing self-tapes together, and Leanne's actually the one who brought me, uh, who introduced me to Bill, who's the writer and producer of Midnight at the Paradise, huh. uh, and that's sort of how this whole thing um started but yeah yeah leanne and i have this will be our second really big artistic collaboration which is you know really exciting 
That's great. And Midnight at the Paradise is such a different project, too. Uh, yeah. We can get back to Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, but uh, I keep saying Leo Grande. Leo Grande. Um, I don't know what it is. Is it Leo? I, I don't know. I, I want to say he uses both at one point or another, like yeah. almost like it's a tell, but I'm not yeah, sure yeah, yeah. that's right. I think I might just be misremembering it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the idea of depicting true intimacy on film it's tricky, right? Like it's, it's the kind of thing where even if it, uh, as we see in the film, it's all about camera placement. Like you have to trust the actors have to trust the camera. The actors have to trust each other. I've seen hundreds of movies, if not thousands at this point where it's just not quite right. And here you just get quiet and pulled in and it's, it's about, it's not about whether they're going to have sex or even touch, right? Like it's about whether they'll connect exactly because even they even have sex in like that first act and that's not even the thing i love that you just touched on that because i think the true intimacy it is so well accomplished and i don't know i mean part of it is the camera work and, and it's also like because it's every time the emma talk, they get really close to true intimacy and she's the one that breaks it like either it's there's oh, yeah. that you know the dance oh the dance scene where they're so getting into it. And then of course her daughter calls and she's the one that has to block it off. And then when she's almost overcome with lust and it is, uh, it, yeah, it, 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 it's done so well that, yeah, like true intimacy and all, and like almost the touching and then the breakaway. So you're teased every time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Hey, it's Norm interrupting my own show to bring you up to speed on Shiny Things, my twice-weekly newsletter about physical media, culture, and the odd streaming project. Last week, I wrote about the Cohen Media Group's Jacques Rivette restorations, Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool, and Shout Factory's 4K editions of two 80s masterpieces, Midnight Run and Streets of Fire. Yes, really. Sign up for a 14-day free trial at shiny-things.ghost.io or find a link at the Semcast Twitter account. Look, I have to write about movies. It's obviously a pathology. Come check it out. And it's so difficult to talk about, right? Like it's a, it's, you just end up stammering and trying to find the right words because it's something that's electric. The chemistry of it just can't be explained. It either works or it doesn't. And, you know, the camera loves them both. The, um, the, the, the actors are both incredibly comfortable with having the camera right up their noses. Like practically mm -hmm. it's, it's just these close-ups of faces and necks and shoulders and, and, bodies moving together without meshing, like without going to straight up sex. It's about the consideration, the possibility, the the romance of romance. It's so weird and metaphorical and, and, and hard to phrase other than, you know, to use terms that don't really do it justice, like um, an emotional, you know, people talk about an emotional affair, but that completely leaves out the possibility of physical attraction. And it's mm -hmm. usually part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's usually something to do with the want, the need, not just the conversation and the, and the, and the confidence that happens where, where you start. I mean, even like the, the micro adjustments in Thompson's performance from sequence to sequence, Yes, the way she calibrates 
Nancy's comfort level, but also her hesitation, because as it gets more serious, she retreats further. So she's willing to spend time with Leo. And she, you know, she loses the repulsion and, and the, the terror from the first one. But in the second one, there's a different kind of terror, because what if it actually leads somewhere this time? And what if something happens? And by the third one, she's, we realize she's considering a relationship or at least reaching out to him beyond that, which he finds repulsive. Exactly. And so they're... The dynamic just keeps shifting in a way that isn't mechanical, but mm -hmm. is really, really interesting. Because I, I mean, if you look back on it, there's a really, there's a really clear line about which direction both of these characters are moving in and how it works and how it meshes. But in the moment, it feels raw and human and unpredictable, which is kind of amazing because effectively, it's a film play and it should be more schematic. But they find a way to to break it. This is why I was asking if you were familiar with um, with Sophie Hyde's work because she made a film ten years ago now, maybe called Fifty Two Tuesdays. Okay, yeah, um, I saw it on IMDb. No, I'm not familiar with it. I saw it. Um, maybe it was at TIFF Next Wave, but I saw it in a festival. Or it was actually no, it was probably Inside Out. Um, and it's about a teenage girl who's uh, one of her parents is transitioning. Okay, um, and she cannot handle it. Her, her, I think it, it's a line of the way she expresses it is my mom is becoming my dad and I can't understand it. Okay. And it's so, and this is 10 years ago before trans narratives were really, I was just you know, going to say, right around yeah. the time of Dallas Buyers Club, which handles it in a completely different way. Okay. Um, and it is so sensitive and so calm and human and beautiful that at the time, it felt like someone almost trying too hard to make an art film out of a human story. I think I might have even knocked it for that. But now, but looking back at it, it's just like, no, it's just refusing to not make an art film because the story is important. And why wouldn't you like the transness wasn't the fa the the transness wasn't the function of the story. That wasn't the hook. Okay. Um, the hook is about the daughter and what she's doing as a teenager and how she's figuring herself out and how this other thing is happening that she can't process. But when you're a teenager, you think, you know, everything is felt so profoundly, but you also can't imagine anybody else feeling anything so profoundly. Totally. Yes. Yes. Like yes. Which as an adult, you look back on and it's embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> the film perfectly captures that Interesting. In, a, in the same way it captures Nancy's panic. Yeah. Like it's, it's all about anxiety and, and she is so good. Uh, Sophie Ide is so good at capturing that in a way that's almost unbearable. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out this film. Yeah, I'm seeing it on IMDb right now, 52 Tuesdays. Yeah, it's out there somewhere. Um, wow, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, I like uh, she just stayed in Australia. It's so interesting because she's so talented. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I think she just moves around. Uh, she goes where the, the work is, as far as I can tell, because Good Luck was written by an English comedian, which I didn't realize. I was just looking that up, too, who is also, yeah, this it seems like the sketch comedian, like she's also, like she has like 50 credits as an actress. And I'm like, what? Is this why I liked the movie so much? It was written by an actress. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, more, more to it than that yeah what an interesting collaboration yeah oh i mean it makes sense that it would be written by an actor though because it's all about revelation right like it's all about 
you know, revealing yourself to someone and, and performance. And it's the, um, like all the tension comes from whether or not someone is going to be honest, not whether or not someone's going to get laid. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And also it's like a dream script for any actor to get. <laughs> <laughs> like if this fell on your desk, you'd be like, yeah, no, I want to do this. This is basically uh, like doing a play. Like the scene work is just so rich. I'm very curious how long they rehearsed for. And I don't know. Yeah. I would have to assume there was some. I mean, cause this would have been shot during the pan. Like this is 2021, right? So yeah. It's a perfect pandemic film because it doesn't feel like one. The hotel room is a great excuse for it. Exactly. Yeah, it is a perfect pandemic film. And um, yeah, I, I, I wonder if, I mean, there's no, yeah, I'm assuming there was at least a week of rehearsals. There's no way you could be that intimate with somebody without getting to know them or I don't know, maybe not. Maybe they're, they're, they're so talented. I'll find oh. out. I would hope so. I think, I mean, I'm assuming that Emma Thompson can have chemistry with a, a stick if she wants to. Yes. But, um, but he's great too. And I called him David at the beginning and I'm going to have to fix that. Daryl McCormick, uh, who I'd only seen in Peaky Blinders and who really was not, I was not expecting this performance from him based on that role, but that's, I guess that's just testament to how good he is. I, yeah, I had actually never seen this actor before in my life. It was a total, um, so I had no expectations. All I, <laughs> I was talking to some people about the film because I, I was so obsessed with it. And uh, one one guy was saying, he's like, oh, but he's just like, I didn't, I didn't really want to watch it because he's too good looking. And I was just like, oh, what is this guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Yes, that's definitely part of the capture, I was, I was like, wow, this is a very good looking guy. Who is he? I've never seen this actor before. Um, it's a good hook. It pulls people in. Um, they had five days to rehearse. Jesus. Yeah. Really? I know, all I knew was that they had, uh, they, they didn't bother with an intimacy coordinator, according to the right. productions, which again, I can sort of see. I can see that too. Cause you just would do it with the director. Um, yeah, they but they would rehearse nude. <laughs> they had like a, a day of just and yeah, wild. I don't know. I don't know if I could I could I don't know if I could ever do that. That's why and she she's actually talking about a little bit about that too, that she doesn't think she could have done this at any age except for this. And that how important she thought it was to see untreated bodies at this age. Because we're just so not used to seeing untreated bodies, which is just also so crazy. With what, and even the the poster, I love it. Like her, you know, oh, just the her, two of them sat in front of the bed. Yeah, yeah, and like her rules are hanging over, and it's like, yeah, I feel like so many actresses would have wanted that to be photoshopped, and she kept it. It's pretty, um, it's it, it's wild that that is radical, right? <laughs> like, yeah, like being real is radical at this stage of the world. It's, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it's very mind blowing. Yeah. It's the phrase that comes to mind with most uh, reviews is brave, right? When you say you're so brave to do that. And I guess part of that is because we know we're sitting and watching it on a 30 foot screen and everybody always <laughs> talks about how horrifying it is to see yourself. Even like, even if you're in decent shape, you all you see are your flaws. 
But then there's this other thing that I realized that the other, there's another movie this year about a woman of roughly the same age sitting in a hotel room with a younger man who, who wants to give her everything she asks for. And it's, it's George Miller's film, 3000 Years of Longing. Oh, um, because Tilda, yeah, Tilda Swinton is, I think the same age, which is shocking to me um, because she hasn't, <laughs> she has an age she's an immortal of some sort yes <laughs> and, and but the way that miller asceticizes both of his leads both idris elba and and tilda swinton like george miller is making a fantasy and this film is not that this is sort of the the counter argument to that which is to say that your fantasy is unattainable and you can be happy in yourself but it's that's the brave thing not being naked but but being contented and it's a uh, it's a hard sell. Like it's hard to explain that to people about this movie. And and the the poster you mentioned is kind of reductive, right? Like it looks like a sex comedy. And that's not what this is. No, not at all. It's actually uh <laughs> yeah. It's a very profound movie about loving oneself. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's also really funny. <laughs> like I, it's, it's I, I laughed many, many, many times, and I also found myself completely swept away. I, I really uh, one of the scenes I couldn't stop thinking about is the dance scene. I don't know what you thought of that, um, and I think it just because uh, there's that part too where Emma Thompson's character is talking about like she doesn't want to be 16 that was like the worst time of your you know nobody wants to be 16 again but you just want to like feel 16 again and for a moment watching the movie during the dance scene I felt all of a sudden like I don't know really lifted like it reminded me of being young and free and no COVID times and having um yeah, just just freedom all of a sudden, and it's so even though the film is being almost hyper real, it also offered so much escapism and adventure, which I think is very a very very difficult thing to pull off <laughs> in a hotel room, just with two actors, one camera. It's, uh, it's yeah. Well, Quite yeah, I, I was going to say the limitations sort of go away in that moment. There's that, there's the scene, yes. there's her reminiscence of being 20 and her her only other sexual experience beyond her husband, oh, where yeah. you know, like it's just such a simple monologue, but because it's Emma Thompson and because it's well-written, it's transportive. It's the, I was thinking this, the, the little bit in Citizen Canyon, you know, like I've thought about that girl every month for the, my entire life. It's just got that quiet confidence that this is a story worth telling and that this is an anecdote worth listening to, to the end. And, and of course you've got McCormick giving back, like he's, he doesn't say a word, but he's just coaxing her to keep, keep going. He's asking her to go on with his eyes and, and his body language changes. It's, it's just so smart about how it tells that story mm -hmm. and, and who these people are to each other. And also just so heartbreaking, like all these opportunities mm that this woman has not allowed herself to live because of all these restrictions that she, and like, you know, like religion has touched upon and just how women and girls were supposed to act like everything she, she's denied herself so much. 
and then you know confronting <laughs> maybe mortality for you know because her husband died and realizing like I can't you you reach this breaking point where you can't continue to live the way that you've been living and um yeah like this yeah. is it this is your one life this is all so <laughs> you're getting better start enjoying it yeah i was so terrified the first time that it was just going to turn out that she was dying and this was her thing because oh really I oh, it's just it's just such an easy place to go out on right like it would be the big hook and that's i think i was trying to figure out actually is this because I can't believe, am I a Nancy? Do I believe no one would want uh, to spend an afternoon or an evening with a sex worker if they didn't have some sort of ulterior motive? Am I taking on her position? Is this a moral judgment on my part? Or am I just trying to see my way through the trick that it's playing on me because I'm invested and therefore it's going to betray me? Like there's, that's, I, I'm trying to figure out if that's like a, film's, a film critic's mentality. It's like, okay, how are you going to ruin this? But I don't know. I think it's just, it would feel like a more, and I've seen a couple of movies where that's happened, where that's like the secret is that someone's dying because it's an easy secret. It's an easy writer's trick to get out of a, like to invest your, your film with emotional weight. Like, yeah. Raise the stakes. Yeah. 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 I never thought once that she was dying. (laughs) That's really wild that you, that, that, entered your mind you're just more generous than i am i think maybe or i could just um maybe it didn't it felt (laughs) i don't know like yeah just yeah it felt i i think maybe maybe something that's been on my mind it's like turning points in one's life and what what are those things that make you all of a sudden not necessarily hit rock bottom but just decide i am i am no longer going to accept the way that i have been living and i'm making the active like even like as painful as it is for her like she resists she resists the whole way but yet even like leo points it out you made all the arrangements like you rented this hotel you booked a sex worker you did all of these steps so it's like you clearly want it but then that's like the inside of you like that conflict of of knowing like no 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 this is so wrong this is so wrong but then the other side of you that is like but i absolutely have to do this this is a thing that i i have to do like it i mean it kind of felt like completely different but kind of the same I mean that's often how I felt about directing for the first time that I was like I absolutely I do not want to do this I don't want to do this I'm going to resist every but I know that this is something that I have to do if I want all these things that in my life like this this is this thing that I have to you have to like you have to dive and it's almost like making those micro tears in order to get the things that you want in your life, even though it's incredibly uncomfortable and difficult and painful, ultimately your inner voice, like deep down inside knows that that is the way to go. So that's why I didn't think she was dying. I think I could relate to it. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Is that, I mean, is it's a kind of a potentially awkward question. So forgive me, but is that why you went with Leanne as as your star? Did you want to do it in a way that made you feel comfortable or did you just well, no, Leanne was attached before I was. Leanne, oh, I think, has okay. been attached for eight years, I want to say. Like, Bill had been trying to get this film made for a really long time. Um, and then uh, he was looking to 
attach another actress. And so Leanne had suggested me, and I think actually one of his other collaborators uh, had also suggested me. So then he was like, okay, well, I've got to meet Vanessa. Um, But he knew about my series Ghost BFF. And he also knew about this other series I had made, uh, The Bitter End, where um, it was based off an improv show I used to do. And when we first met, like this was years ago, pre pre COVID, uh, he had originally approached me just to act in it. And I had felt that I was aging out of that part and I wasn't sure if I wanted to do it. Um, and then after, after talking, he, uh, he thought that I should be the one to direct it. And, and, and I was like, absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) like, no way. No, no, no. That is way too scary a thing. Um, but then after talking with a lot of people and also, you know, look, like I was looking for that next bold move after doing two seasons of a web series, like what, what is it that I want to do next? And then I, I said, yes. And then we, we got, <laughs> we got funded. And I was like, Oh, great. I actually have to do this. <laughs> um, but having Leanne there was massive. I, I was actually gifted literally one of the most generous, wonderful casts that you could be given because they were all so lovely. I, I was so intimidated by by Ken because, you know, sometimes like older white men aren't, you know, the nicest on sets, especially people who have had that much success and experience. And he was the opposite. He was lovely and generous and he rolled, he's a hip, he was a hippie and like rolled up in his car and it had every child matters, like this flag hanging off. And I was like, okay, this is my people. I love (laughs) him. He was so warm um, and so generous and supported me and, you know, all of like they all did. I, I, I feel very, very lucky. It felt very safe. Oh, that's good. I, the film has a, I, I guess I asked about Leanne, um, just because the film has a level of comfort. Like it just feels easy that, that it doesn't feel like, I mean, it's, it's, it's dealing with big emotional stuff, but it, the attitude is very relaxed and very comfortable. And it just felt, it feels like everybody is at ease in front of the camera. I, I don't know how to describe it other than a, it's not naturalistic exactly, right? It, it feels designed that way. It feels like you're trying to be um, very inviting to the viewer into this thing. Maybe it's the black and white. Maybe it's just the, the score has something to do with it, but just the sense that the world you've built is really comfortable. And so I got pulled into the questions that people are asking because everybody seems like they're already pretty happy. So why shake it up why change it it's sort of the opposite of the leo grandi situation mm-hmm. where you've got people who could have comfortable satisfying lives and are still considering throwing it all up in the air it's kind of like sarah Polly did that with take this waltz as well like when you have to understand how happy everyone is until you understand why they're not fully content mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i think i mean for me too i think sometimes it's a bit more <laughs> you know, because if something is awful, you understand completely why they would leave and right. why it would. But I think it's like, you know, in most relate, not most relationships, but I think like a, a lot of relationships, it is, it's like, it's good. <laughs> it's good. And you still go and mess things up and <laughs> get messy because we are never satisfied and everything always has to, you know, 
um, well, I think also you always wonder, you know, what if, <laughs> and so if you go and explore that or if you don't, um, yeah, yeah. And also, you know, like, as you get older, like, I think it's interesting with, you know, the, the central relationship, like it, it is like, yes, Leanne is in a very good on paper marriage. Everything is fine, but you know, it's not this other thing. Um, and I think like even, you know, the, like, I know that the writer Bill Robertson had like debated the ending many times. Like, does she actually leave? I, I don't want to spoil it. No, <laughs> of course. Movie. But, um, yes, there were different iterations of how it could end. Um, so yeah, but I also did work really hard. I, I think like my experience as an actress being directed by both wonderful directors and horrible directors. Like I, I, I definitely worked very hard to make sure my actors were extremely comfortable. Like I didn't want anybody to ever feel like they couldn't take a risk or like that they couldn't be vulnerable or they couldn't feel comfortable in front of the camera because you know, I've, I've been put in that situation many times where mm. it's like, Oh no, I want to go hide. And I, I didn't want anybody to feel that way. I wanted, I wanted everyone to have a lot of fun playing. Like that was, I wanted the experience of making this to be wonderful. Um, you know, on top of having hopefully like an okay movie. <laughs> That's the goal though. Right. I mean, isn't that like the, the platonic ideal of, of a film is that like Leo Grande, it's something that could have just been this one thing, but it's got so much more going for it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> I wait, I don't know if I understand the question. <laughs> you feel like you're resisting the praise. Uh, just the idea that you've made a movie that has like, it's more than it's some of its parts. It's, it's trying to be, it's, it's aiming to be more than some of its parts. And it, mostly when that happens, it feels like a miracle. Like when it is. <laughs> yes. It literally feels like a miracle that this film got made. It feels like a miracle. I think sometimes that people don't understand how hard it is <laughs> to make a film you know if you're not in the industry it's like people are just consuming things there's so much on tv oh just watch this throw it away watch it and nobody especially like canadian indie stuff you're working with very limited resources it's not like you can just throw money at a situation like you do like every single person on that set has to be working at such a level and such a creative level in order to pull this off because it it is it's it's like it's a modern miracle <laughs> when things get made it's it's wild it's wild my thanks to vanessa matsui whose first feature midnight at the paradise has its toronto premiere this friday april 21st at the paradise cinema you can still get tickets at paradiseonbloor.com thanks also to nicola pender she knows what she did. You can find Vanessa on Twitter at Vanessa Matsui, all one word. And you can find Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, streaming on Prime Video in Canada and Hulu in the US. It's also for rental or sale on various VOD platforms. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and you can find this podcast there at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. The first year of the show is still available for just 20 bucks at payhip.com slash Semcast. That's the first 52 episodes of Someone Else's Movie, 44 of which aren't currently available anywhere else. And check out my newsletter, Shiny Things, at shiny-things.ghost.io. I think you'll enjoy it. Our theme song is by The Last Year, 
If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review wherever you've been listening. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're doing that. Stay safe. Watch movies. Wear a mask if you go out. Get your booster when you can. I'll see you next week.